Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 318 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we had a great conversation with Joe Camp of Microsoft about the Power Platform and tools like Power Automate that many of you already have in your Microsoft 365 subscription. Highly recommended. In other news, we've selected our book cover and the new version of our collaboration tools and technologies book is off to the printers and we're told it should be out in the wild at uh, by the end of August. In this episode, we've been hearing a lot of both how important artificial intelligence has now become and also how it's really not anything at all and still has a long way to go. So we thought that made it a good time for us to revisit artificial intelligence or AI, as people like to call it, and report back on what we found. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed take an updated look at artificial intelligence and the current hype cycle as compared to reality on the ground. In our second segment, we're going to take a look at a category of simple but wildly helpful collaboration tools, uh, online booking calendars. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots at one tip website or observation that you can start using the second that this podcast is over. But first up, artificial intelligence, AI, and its 70-plus year story of being the next big thing. We first covered AI as a general topic way back in June of 2015, and then around its application to the practice of law about a year later, July of 2016. We next covered AI in 2020 when uh, the language model GPT-3 became popular. I think we'll be talking a little bit more about that today. So we wanted to see where we are in 2022. What have we, where have we caught up? Uh, where are we still kind of treading water, uh, running in place. Um, Dennis, is there anything really interesting for the legal profession happening today? And if so, why do you think that it starts with GTP3 or GPT3? Did I say that right? GPT3. There it yeah, is. Yeah, GPT3, which of course, as everyone knows, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more about that later. Um, I'm probably going to play the role of optimist uh, this, in this episode, Tom, as is my common uh, role on this podcast. And I'll admit that I'm fascinated by developments like GPT-3 and uh, something new called or relatively new called DAL-E2. Um, so there are some things happening, uh, but I would say that we're definitely hearing both points of view on AI, that there's too much hype out there. And I also think in legal, the term that a lot of vendors are using where they would say, we have a little bit of AI baked into our products didn't really help um, in in the, the legal tech field. But I think that we we are seeing some developments and we're also getting a better context of where legal AI fits into the bigger picture of 
of all of AI. And I think it's important from time to time just to get an idea of, of what the current state of affairs in AI is overall. And I think it starts where we always start with AI, Tom, is that uh, no one ever seems to agree on what AI is. It's probably you and I have some different definitions, even as we uh, speak on this podcast. Well, we do. And and I think you're right, Dennis. What doesn't have AI baked into it nowadays? I would, I would um, use a different phrase because what I see more often is the phrase AI-powered. I think that I see lots of AI-powered tools these days, uh, which, but I feel a little bit numb to it. Um, and I'm really not even paying attention. But I think maybe that's the point that... Um, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more about whether this might be the best use of AI, that that AI working behind the scenes without ever having to pay attention is probably the best piece, the best way for it to happen and doing things in little mundane ways. I'll come back to that word mundane a little bit. Um, in terms of definition, uh, I went out to go and find the, the best definition that I could find. And lo and behold, I found an article that I'm going to put in the show notes said, that's called, These are the Best Definitions of Artificial Intelligence You Can Read Today. Uh, and you, we have definitions from corporations, from the media, from universities, from the government, from Wikipedia, and from AI pioneers or experts. So I'm going to put the link in there so you can figure out which definition of AI fits your thinking best. But actually, the author of the article, who is a regular author and he's a podcast host on artificial intelligence, I actually kind of like kind of like his own definition, which felt very friendly to me, which is artificial intelligence is a type of technology that mimics the human thought, empowering machines to act on their own and to perform functions similar to human intelligence, such as the ability to perceive, learn, reason, and act. I feel like that's kind of enough of the future baked into it uh, with that definition um, and, uh, and, and maybe a little bit of I mean, we're 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 getting there with some of that stuff, um, but uh, that was the most that was the most intriguing definition that I found there. But go look look at your own and see which one makes sense. They are all somewhat variations on a theme, but no two are the same. I'm really intrigued, and I I didn't unfortunately get to didn't get the chance to do this, but I I kind of wanted to see if there was an AI that had written a definition of what AI meant, because I think that would be a super interesting uh, definition to think about. Well, but I, just just hold on a minute, and we'll talk about that later. Because I <laughs> okay. actually, you're spoiling the rest of my of the stuff I want to talk about. But I, I sort of went the example route. Um, and, and so I sort of say, well, what is it that we, that, uh, you know, f how are we actually using AI these days? Um, if we are, and if people are saying it's that there's no such thing as AI, then why would they, why would they even be saying that? So I found an article which, uh, f from the, the World Economic Forum, uh, which talked about 10 examples of, of AI that we encounter every day. And, and these are some really interesting things that we take for granted. Um, and, and as Tom was saying, this is AI in the background. And the big one is spam filters, right? Every, every single day uh, that we're having the benefit of that. Uh, article says Google says less than 0.1% of spam makes it past its AI-powered filters. Um, on our phones, we're seeing voice-activated personal assistance, uh, predictive text, uh, 
all uh, you know the 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 photo apps, all these things uh, in banking. We're using fraud predi- prediction, onboarding customers. Uh, credit decisions, medicine. I don't think that the COVID vaccines would have happened with without AI, but certainly everything that's going on um, in, I'd say almost everything going on uh, in the COVID area and treatment and vaccines is going to use some AI, automated cars, uh, anything involving self-driving, uh, our planes, uh, you know, and how they get around and how they take us places, uh, the ride sharing apps and anything that allows us to personalize, uh, uses some AI social media, as we know, uh, uses AI to, to put things in front of us, including ads, manufacturing all over the place. And then uh, the big one, which is interesting, is most of the country is going through a heat wave, is regulating the power supply. So these are just, you know, these areas, uh, plus there are all these things that uh, in the olden days uh, would be th- taken as as really dramatic examples of AI. And that in, that's optical character recognition, speech recognition, pulling text out of photos, all those sorts of things, which uh, we take for granted are, were actually magical um, not that long ago. Well, so I will see your long list of examples and I will raise it another long list. So here are the things that I wrote a similar list down and I will take out the ones you mentioned. I think these are all the ones you, you, I think none of these you mentioned, but here are other uses of it. So photorealistic images of people, that one, that, that website that said that none of these people really exist because they're all created by AI. You know, Clearview AI is a tool that has been in the news a lot lately for being able to recognize faces. Not always a good thing. Instagram has recently testing an AI to verify the age of minors who try to use the service. Just take a look at them and decide, no, you're too young and boot them off. Um, in addition to, um, AI helping out with COVID vaccine and other things, AI also led to an increase in robotics during the period of time that helped out with social distancing around COVID. Um, The auto industry is using it to quickly inspect vehicles and identify damaged parts or maintenance issues. Sports, we're seeing more AI in soccer to detect offsides, in baseball to handle challenges to umpire calls, which is really kind of catching up to where the tennis world has been for a while. Medical use, detecting eye and skin disorders, cancers, clinical diagnosis, measurements. Um, The financial world is using it to detect fraud, to detect money laundering. Um, There are some concerning ways I think that AI is working. Uh, If you haven't seen the news, the story about Alexa, uh, Amazon was developing a new way in Alexa through AI that mimics I'm going to say the, 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 the salacious uh, title of the story, and then I'll go back. It says, mimics the voices of your dead relatives. And that what it does is it actually will, it will, it will learn voices of people that you care about and read so your child can read, have your grandmother read back to them, uh, which is just all sorts of creepy. We talked in past episodes about the descript um, uh, application that allows you to create essentially an artificial intelligence model of your voice so that you can fill in on podcasts or other recordings just by typing the words in and you train it on your voice and it will create text uh, speak spoken by you, which again, very cool. Also, 
subject to abuse. But uh, I mean, I just think that the number of things that artificial intelligence can help with these days, there really is, we're getting to no limit on that. And I, I think when you think about legal AI, people are saying, well, how can we apply artificial intelligence in, in the practice of law? And I would say that with this long list, if you're a lawyer, you have to have awareness of how uh, AI is being used elsewhere and how it might impact your clients and the and the matters that you, you are working on. But you can see how some of these things, um, even at the basic levels, are already starting to move into the the, the tools that we, we use. So I, th I think that uh, if we think that AI is something where I just ask a question and it gives me the definitive answer um, and does amazing things, um, I don't. I don't think our expectations are probably realistic on that. And we'll, we'll talk about what what is realistic. But uh, but I think that when we see all the things that are happening and the likelihoods that some of them are going to move over into the legal profession, I think. That's highly likely. And so um, I think there actually is a, a lot happening. So I want to talk uh, another aspect of AI, Tom, is I always think that AI has been this moving target. You know, it started out where we're like, well, if a... If, if we have a computer program that can have a, someone can have a conversation with and they think it's a human, then that's sort of like an example of AI. And they, then we say, no, no, that's not it. Well, if a, if a computer program can beat humans playing checkers, that's, that will be like a, a proof of AI. And we're like, well, no, 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 not, not checkers. What we meant was chess. And then we're like, no, no, no. Uh, just because we beat every chess master, every human chess master, that doesn't really show that there's the AI, now we have to go to this game of Go because it's more complicated. And then uh, once the AI's won that, then we're looking for the next thing. So um, this is big moving target. And we've also learned, I think, over time that uh, there is this notion that a human together with AI is going to be better at doing things than a human alone or an AI alone. And I think that's that's an important, important way of thinking. So those are some of the conclusions that I think we see. And, and they're almost principles that, you know, I, I think we should take forward, especially that this idea that we're going to be this sort of, we work in combination with AIs. And, and that to me is an eye opener uh, in many things, but including the legal profession. Well, no, I think you're right. I think that, that I think AI is better at um, taking available data and uh, synthesizing it, um, making decisions in what I would call well-defined parts of a problem. And then the human is better at understanding the implications of that data, which I think is, I think what you say is right, is that human and AI is always going to be, be better and win out than human alone or AI alone. And I think it's really about how to take the tools that are available and, uh, and, and work to that advantage. So why, why more AI now? And I think it's, um, it's this evolution of, of technology and technological power that's been coming together. So we have software, we have algorithms, we have uh, increases in processing power, we have the cloud, we have enormous data sets, um, and I mean, just unbelievably large data sets. Uh, uh, and that's s sort of started to make all this this happen. 
And I think that uh, now we're at this interesting place where so much of uh, the processing can be offloaded off of our devices into the clouds and work with huge amounts of data. And uh, we have, um, we're starting to see the fruition of, of that, like everything from self-driving to, to many of the other examples that we did. It's not like an easy path and it's not without difficulties. There's some serious problems that we're, we're looking at and trying to overcome. So I think we have uh, cons consistently the issue of do we have enough data to look at and work with for AI to to accomplish what it needs to, especially if we're predicting things. I think that we haven't seen or really thought through the full impact of COVID on uh, making predictions from historical data patterns. You know, so is the data with, that we collected between 2020 and now, um, is that anomalous? Is it indicative of the future? Does what happened, the data that, that we're looking at that's before 2020, how meaningful is that? Does there have to be adjustments? And uh, we see huge issues around potential bias, uh, geographic, uh, other other biases, uh, you know, cultural biases, those sorts of things. So there's a there's a lot to work on. But I, I think it's a it's a really exciting time. What do you think, Tom? I agree. I mean, I think that as new technology develops, there are always going to be issues with it. So none of this is surprising. And, you know, COVID had an effect on just about every other impact of our life. Would it, why would it not have an impact on this as well? So, I mean, I, I, am, I am not surprised at both the leaps and bounds that artificial intelligence tools have made. Um, and I'm also not surprised by the, uh, by the challenges that go along with it. You know, I think that in a lot of ways, and as I said before, one of the one of the interesting things about AI is that a lot of the tools just seem to be running behind the scenes. Um, and they've been doing so for years without anybody really noticing that that's happening. And and frankly, what we hear about in the news um, is uh, is what the media considers stories about AI that's surprising or. Um, possibly controversial or things that may or may not be a big idea because I think that bias is an issue to a certain extent, but I would also, I've also seen stories that say that bias is improving, that they are finding ways to deal with it. So um, I think that there's, there's, I think that there's definitely still hype and I think that the media tends to pile on hype in areas that tend to get more clicks or more information while I think in the background, AI is making slow inroads and slowly progressing in ways that are, I'm going to use the word, they're more mundane, they're more boring, and, um, and tend, in my mind, to be the sort of thing for which um, AI was really built. Dennis, we got to take a break, but any thoughts before we go into the break on, uh, on, on kind of where we're headed and, and, and what you're seeing in terms of AI? Yeah, I, I, so one quick response to something that you said, and then sort of three things I, I would like people to kind of think about as we uh, as we go through the the break. But there's a great story uh, in the last day or so of a uh, chess playing robot that uh, broke the fing finger of its seven year old's opponent, and. You know, so this made big news and like, oh, my God, the, ter the terrible AI, the terrible robots. And then you go like, but 
you know, if you were, uh, you know, good at chess as a as a young child, then then the story of you playing with somebody older who got mad that you beat them and flipped over the chessboard um, is not surprising at all. So, point one that I would say as I think about AI these days, I, I think all the bias stuff is extremely important, but I. I think that too often we're judging AI against a mythical, perfect human standard or the perfect lawyer or the perfect judge, which absolutely does not exist. Um, and it doesn't take m many examples to illustrate that point. Second thing is I really like small AI applications, what Kevin Kelly calls artificial smartness rather than this gigantic universal AI. And that's, you know, time talked about mundane applications and things that work in the, in the background. I'm also of that school. And then I'm super intrigued by AI uh, as a screening tool that handles simple things and then surfaces what might require more human intervention, but only when necessary. And so those, those three points, the mythical perfect human standard, small AI applications, and then screening, I think are three, three big trends to look at in AI and, uh, and things that you will want to focus on. All right, we've got more to say about AI, but first we need to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And we are back. What about the current state of AI in the law, Tom? Well, I mean, I, th I think we are seeing routinely uh, tools come out that, <laughs> that are AI-powered, that are have a little bit of AI baked into them. Um, but I would say that I mean, I would I would say that that none of them are uh, are wowing, which is probably good. They're probably all the mundane ways that they can help people. But I see things like uh, AI tools that will uh, transcribe your meeting for you and provide you with a summary of that meeting. Um, uh, one of the more I think interesting ones is uh, a tool called I think it's called Husky, um, which is a new image search. Uh, a new image search tool that will search for your intellectual property on the internet, and it will find where it is being used, um, and uh, and and notify you and provide it in a very very interesting way. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of fascinated how it's how it's doing that. Um, 
But I, I see that I, I and, and, and then I think that the other area and where we're probably going to turn to talking about more right now is AI in terms of drafting documentation and automating uh, certain types of documents to be created. Those are kind of where I am seeing most of the most of the AI, at least where it's impacting me and what I'm working with or, or, or dealing with. Dennis, how about you? Are you seeing anything in addition there are a number of things, and I think in our last podcast, we, we were talking about in, in a number of places that in Microsoft 365, Microsoft is starting to to uh, build in some simple AI tools, um, and they range from like the, the Power, uh, PowerPoint design tool, there's uh, some scenario planning tools in Excel, some of the Power Automate tools that we talked about also have um, some AI that we're able to, you as a user, are able to grab and use and take advantage of. Um, and th those are interesting. I, you hear about uh, AI in, in law and e-discovery contract uh, contract management uh, and in certain areas where people are doing uh, predictive analytics either in terms of uh, analyzing what court decisions might happen what it might happen in in litigation or uh, sometimes in the employment area uh, to help pick up patterns and and do things like that so there are some things out there. Tom, I, I, I was thinking that somebody recently was talking about, uh, as a young lawyer, was, was talking about uh, trademarks and how uh, in trademarks, they were wondering like how lawyers did trademark law and trademark searches back in the old days, you know, like because a lot of trademarks are graphic images and they couldn't believe that a lawyer would like spend hours and hours just like looking through books of, of pictures of trademarks and they were wondering what kind of tools they used all the primitive all the primitive days of, of old-fashioned lawyering I, I hated to tell them that that, that's, that people look through like a trademark lawyer often look through books books of pictures hoping to spot something you know and so uh, so it is interesting how things have changed in that your example of like how I might uh, use AI to identify things that are infringing on my trademark or you know infringing a copyright or whatever uh, might become more possible and that's why I think in terms of screening because if you have those tools that can go out and find potential problems and then you as the human can look at it you're a lot better than saying i'm going to spend you know 90 percent of my week looking through uh you know pictures of of trademark images but i think that's going to bring us uh, to two things tom and we'll probably take them in this order um and the first is gpt3 uh which which you've uh, started to talk about, which we can talk about, and then DALI 2, which I, th I find uh, a really interesting variation that, um, unfortunately, despite our best efforts, we were both trying to get into the, uh, uh, get on and off of the waiting list for DALI 2, but we weren't able to. So, Tom, you started to talk a little bit about what GPT-3 might do, but uh, why don't I turn that over to you, and, and then I have an example or two myself. We talked about 
GPT-3 two years ago when it first really hit the news and was something amazing. But uh, to, just a quick refresher, to a certain extent, so GPT-3 um, is, is, is a product of, uh, of a, an organization called OpenAI, um, and they developed this model. And to a certain extent, the model tries to predict, it, it, it reviews tons and tons and tons of text and tons and tons and tons of formats of that text. And to a certain extent, it's trying to predict what comes next based on what it's learned about the world through text. Uh, it could be it can be used as a chatbot, a classifier, a summarizer, some of the things we've talked about before, because it understands what those things look like on a textual level. It's able to recognize them and repeat them and then learn about the types of things that it needs to ask questions about. So, for example, you know, otter.ai Otter is generating meeting summaries from the meetings, and that's because they're used to seeing the summaries, and they're taking the transcript that they automatically transcript, and then they're taking that and summarizing it. So I think I think um, it, it it's it's really just a tool that is familiar, becoming familiar with text and making drawing conclusions about it. But I think it's more. I think it's becoming more. There's an article. We've, I'm going to put the link in the show notes where a researcher typed a request into GPT-3, and and the request was write an academic thesis in 500 words about GPT-3 and add scientific resources and citations inside the text. So basically it was saying, tell us what you do. Tell us what you are. And in two hours it had completed the request. And it apparently was coherent enough to be submitted to a well-known journal on machine intelligence the bad news is I can't tell you the end of the story because it's still going on. It was actually assigned to an editor. The abstract is published online. You can go find the abstract of what GPT threat said about itself, but we haven't actually seen if the actual article will wind up being published. But to me, that's fascinating. It said that write an article, and what they wrote was coherent enough, which, frankly, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to the... To the um, to the concerns that we have about about this, but I mean, it raises the question: um, Are editors now going to have to put a put a put some sort of question in every time some an article gets submitted to say, "Was this written by you, um, or was it written by an artificial intelligence?" Because I think at some point in time that may be a legitimate question. Dennis, other things, that, other uses that you're seeing. Yeah, it and that's an interesting thing because you you start to say, well, if if uh, it's like, can AI uh, be an inventor? Can an AI get a patent? Those sorts of things, and you start to say, well, what are we what are we trying to figure out here? If this article is good by some standard, then who do we do we really care? Who who wrote it and how? Well, and, and real and real quick, what was in, that reminds me? What was interesting about the article was when they went to go submit it. One of the questions to submit it was, do we have your consent to submit this abstract? And the, the researcher was like, didn't feel comfortable uh, giving consent on behalf of GPT-3. So she went back <laughs> and she typed into GPT-3, do we have your cons do you give consent to co-author an, an abstract with, and she listed the name of herself and her co-author, and GPT-3 came back and said, yes, I do. And I'm like, it feels really weird, but uh, that's the sort of thing <laughs> is that you're getting credit for, uh, for that from, uh, from the for artificial intelligence. So uh, 
Peter Gunst and, and Hannah Knitschik at uh, Legal.io did uh, this thing on Twitter using GPT-3 where they just asked ask it to draft some simple legal documents, and then they took a video of it doing it. It was just mind-blowing in its in its way. I mean, it's sort of simple, what I call commodity uh, legal documents. But you're like, wow, that... That was kind of amazing. And I've had some conversations with law professors saying, well, do we, like Tom was saying, do we need to be concerned that uh, students are turning in, you know, memos and papers and, and stuff that are written with GPT-3, you know? And so do we have to think about that? Because, you know, people might already be checking on plagiarism, those those kinds of things. So it's it does raise some interesting things. But I'm fascinated by, as I say, I'm the optimist on some of this stuff because I'm thinking we have to go through so much text um, as lawyers, uh, cases, articles, drafts of, of things that we read, news stories, uh, all sorts of things. Can, and I'm thinking, can we use some, a tool like GPT-3 to do that initial screen and give us a summary or what they think is important? And will that give us enough to figure out, hey, here's what's going on in, in these documents. Uh, what do I need to follow up on? Can I trust it? You know, those sorts of things. So that, to me, comes super interesting over time. And I would say in the next, say, two to five years, even even more so. Uh, with time, I, I think we also want to talk about kind of a different version of that, uh, which is the DAL-E2, which I'll, I'll let you explain. Coming back to our what we said a minute ago, what you just described about doing that pre-work, being able to go out and find that information and summarize it, I'll argue again that's the mundane, the mundane stuff that we wouldn't have time for. It's the commoditized, templated stuff that we would want. And then we take that information and apply our analysis and creativity to it. Again, humans and AI working together. Sorry, I interrupted you. You want to talk about Dolly? Do you want to start out? Do you want me to start out? I want you to start out because uh, you, you were kind of looking at Dolly a little bit before I was. So Dolly is spelled capital D-A-L-L-E. It's a combination. It's a take on Salvador Dolly, the artist, and also the movie character Wally. Um, and what it does is it will take your text instruction and it will create a series of suggested images based on what you write. So, for example, you can say, show me a picture of a Jack Russell Terrier as a police officer. And by gosh, you'll get four pictures of exactly a Jack Russell Terrier as a police officer and no two images look the exact same. I saw one article where they had them, they asked for, um, you can do both photos and digital art as well. You can request those things. Uh, and I saw somebody ask for a digital art of a bear economist in front of a stock chart crashing, so a bear market, basically. And you and came back eight completely different pictures with eight different bears, some of them drawn true to life, some of them drawn like cartoons, in various states of despair as the stock market plunges behind it. And it's just amazing 
the different levels of creativity that this AI can generate on its own based simply on the instructions that you give. You're not asking it to say, I want this bear to look sad. You're just basically saying, I want a bear economist uh, with a with a stock market crashing behind it. And it's interpreting that that bear is going to be sad because of that. I think this really represents a major step forward for creativity. Why hire an artist to draw something for you? If you can have a computer do it in five minutes, it, why hire a marketing company to design your logo if you can describe it to Dolly and it's going to create a passable logo for free? Um, and the best news is you can get in on the action. Like Dennis said, we've tried. Um, we're on the waiting list. We started too late. Otherwise, we'd be in on it. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes to uh, Dolly 2. It's on its second uh, iteration, which is even more powerful than the first one. Um, not sure how long it would take to get off the, sh- the, the off the wait list and using the service, but uh, give it a try. Yeah, and, and uh, like you said, you, you start to think in terms of simple things that that uh, feel like a little bit daunting because you're not an artist or well, you know you need to hire somebody or something. So your logo example is is a great one, and then also. Um, as I th- as I think about you know innovation techniques, you know a lot of times having something visual can really unlock ideas. And if you're able to say, well, let's let's have Dolly generate some pictures of you know involving these concepts uh, or ideas that we have, and those pictures may may unlock some even more other ideas or combinations that you didn't have. You could do the same thing potentially, I would think, with the if you're visual with like a case strategy or other things like that. So really kind of interesting tool as you, you get into to innovation. But um, it's a it's a classic example of, of where you're saying like, well, I'm not sure there's any AI in law or I don't see the implications of AI for law. And you're going like, I don't know. And there's some there's some interesting tools out there that if you yeah, uh, if you start to think about it and experiment, you may find something that uh, that really helps you. So, Tom, I, I know we need to to wrap up, and and I think it's pretty clear there's things that really we're encouraged by, and some things give us concerns. But uh, what do you think our, our listeners should do after hearing this? Well, I mean, I think that the best thing is to take a look at the tools you use and try and figure out or try and learn is, is there. Is there a little bit of AI baked in, uh, so to speak? Is there any power there? Learn how the tools you use already may be influenced by artificial intelligence to get an appreciation for it. Um, I, I think it's really this is this is kind of one of those areas that keeping um, keeping up to date and abreast of the knowledge I think is a good idea because as more tools become available, you will find there will become more use cases for lawyers to use. Um, and uh, I think it's only going to get more interesting. But there are concerns. We have concerns about fraud. We've got deep fake issues. Um, there's, I think, a concern about seeing artificial intelligence as a panacea to our problems when it's really just a tool. Um, if you saw the news in the past week when we're recording, uh, Google fired one of its uh, engineers because the engineer is now convinced that the AI that they created, it's called Lambda, um, is a sentient being that has 
has a consciousness. And uh, Google was very quick to say, no, 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 that's not true. It does not. It's not sentient. And then they fired the guy. So uh, we still have a ways to go on realizing. Which is what, exactly what a sentient AI would do. That's exactly <laughs> right. Um <laughs> So there's still some concerns, but I think uh, I think both Dennis and I are rather bullish on the whole concept, and and we think you should just keep up with what uh, what's going on, and uh, because I think it's only going to get more interesting. All right, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for another message from our sponsor. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures—all critical parts of the litigation process. Yet, ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems, like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And as I mentioned, the new version of our Collaboration Tools and Technologies book is off to the printers. One thing we've always covered in the book is very simple, single-purpose tools that can really make your life easier when you're working with other people. And so I think one of the most annoying problems in collaboration uh, is scheduling meetings, which uh, in the old way of doing things, which is still very, very common, uh, can involve the exchange of what feels like hundreds of emails uh, trying to set up time for a meeting. So there are tools out there like Doodle, Calendly, and Microsoft Bookings that can address this issue and actually make you feel like a great weight has been taking off your shoulders and you can breathe a little fresh air about scheduling meetings. So I recently made the move to Calendly, Calendly which I say uh, I probably did too late and I should have done a long time ago because i am become a big fan almost immediately. Tom, am I overstating how liberating these simple tools are? No, you are not overstating it. These are great tools, and we've been saying that for a long time. I'm sorry it took you so long to start using them. I have been using Find Time and Doodle for quite a while now, but I'm going to almost sound like the pessimist on this particular segment because I don't think everybody feels the same way about these tools. Um, you know, it, interestingly, there was kind of a. You, it's interesting that you're using Calendly because there was sort of a minor controversy a few months back where a tech investor got into a big brouhaha on Twitter by posting that um, that he thought that a tool like Calendly was the worst form of capitalism, the most naked form of capitalism available because telling me that you're uh, sending me your Calendly link is telling me that your schedule is more important than mine. I, I'm not sure I understand that and I'm not sure I agree with it. But there is pushback on tools like that. What I, what I think is the more interesting negative to it is 
I don't think that these tools work in all contexts. I think that scheduling tools work best in two main situations, one-on-one meetings and groups where the people know each other. If you don't know who you're trying to set a meeting up with or you want something, or it's a large group of people who you don't know, getting them to use a tool and all use it correctly, I think is difficult. I'll, t- I'll say, you know, in, in a work context, it's very hard to do. I work, I conduct a lot of meetings with different departments of my clients. I've never met them before. And it, it would be a total bureaucratic nightmare to send out doodle polls or Calendly links to a lot of people who don't even know me. They get a link from me saying, please schedule a meeting with me, I, asking them to find time on my calendar. Um, they'd flat out refuse to do that. That just wouldn't even be an issue for them. It doesn't work well in that situation. So I think that there's a time and a place to use them. And when that works, it works flawlessly and it is brilliant. But I think that there are also, I hate to say it, some people who are still challenged by the tools. You know, maybe not something as, as simple as Doodle. Maybe Calendly is also easy. But um, there are some tools where I will get a puzzled email from someone when I try to use it. I try to use Find Time from Outlook, and I still think that's a pretty easy tool. But I still get questions saying, what am I supposed to do? Because it's a wholly new concept for them. So there's still, again, we still have lots of people who have not adopted it. So uh, I, I guess for many, that liberating feeling is probably still a ways off, but I'm glad that at least you and I are enjoying it. Dennis? So couple, you make a couple of great points, Tom. And so one is, I think that Calendly, uh, which which shows the your available times on your calendar and essentially lets people grab them and then a Zoom appointment gets scheduled with the reminders, text reminders, email reminders, everything's all set up and, and done for you. It's And I think that works amazingly well for what I would call appointments. If you're trying to coordinate a big group meeting, I, I, I don't think it works so well and doodle something like doodle can work. I think that you said there, there are different types of people and, and people like different things. And we, t- we talk about this notion of co-collaboration in the, in the book. And I think I see these tools as like this way to accommodate to people, make yourself easier to work with and make things a little bit easier for them. Where I get the pushback are the telephone people who would say, I don't like Zoom. I don't like that I have to schedule a time. I just want to pick up the phone and call you. And um, and they'll say, can I just call you? And you go, yeah, but what's going to happen is my phone is, is going to send you right to voicemail because it doesn't recognize your number. I, can't we just do like this appointment thing and, and make, it, make it easier? So I, I think that, um, as you said, if you... Find the right purpose, and that's the whole, you know, probably the one of the key themes in everything we've done in the podcast and certainly in the collaboration book is like, what is the job that you need to get done? So understand that really well and then try to make it easy for people to work with you. These tools, because they fix something that is really frustrating and annoying, uh, can be really helpful. And like I said, my experience with Calendly is great because now it's super easy for people to grab time on my calendar at their convenience because it shows as open uh, an open slot they can grab. 
So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So in keeping with my theme for this episode, my parting shot is what I would consider to be a little bit mundane, but um, it's definitely something that I've never taken advantage of and that I think more people could benefit from. Um, We recently had a new uh, addition to our home, Uh, not a young addition, but a young adult uh, who's needing a place to stay while getting ready for you know having a life and 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 being successful on their own and um we realized that we didn't really want to be necessarily giving this person a key to the house so they can have all the time and or, or we didn't want to have to manage lots of keys floating around and so we wound up getting the slosh Encode Plus Smart Lock. Uh, There are lots of smart locks out there, so I'm not necessarily recommending this over any other particular smart lock. Um, But uh, this solves two major, two major, three or four major problems for us, which is one, we walk the dogs in the morning. I usually bring a key with me. Several times when I have pulled the stuff out of my pocket, the key has gone missing on some street uh, where I was walking the dog. Um, and getting home without that key is a pain. Now all I have to do is plug in a code when I get home and I'm able to walk in. Um, if, uh, if one of us forgets a key, the other one can always put up uh, or gets locked out for some reason. The other one of us can uh, pull up the, our phones and automatically unlock the door. Uh, we can give our new guest, our new resident, um, a digital code that they can use that expires immediately or that can be kept for a while. And so, uh, you know, it's just a very simple and elegant tool to use instead of keys. Um, and I am quite enjoying the smart lock. I think it is a good addition and uh, uh, definitely solves a problem that we had uh, around access to our house. Dennis. So I, I have a, a book and a companion website. The book is called Work Clean by Dan Charnas. Um, sometimes uh, there's a hardback and a paperback, and, and sometimes it's called Everything in Its Place. Um, the website is, is workclean.com. So the, uh, this is a, an, an approach to personal productivity, which you know Tom and I are always experimenting with. And this takes the notion of mise en place, which is a, a term that chefs use, uh, that everything has its place and you and you work in 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 a very clean way and applies it to the rest of your life. It's a fascinating approach. I took some some ideas that I'm already using out of it and uh, thoroughly recommend it if you're interested in improving your personal uh, productivity. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can always find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or remember we love to get your voicemails. Send us a voicemail at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.